Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. It's show number 33. And our guest this week is Sue Shepherd, whose first novel with Hobeck, that is, first crime novel, Swindled, is out in just over a week's time. So we're excited to speak to her. It's a fabulous interview. It really is full of um, great tips and uh, a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I knew it was going to be fun talking to Sue. So uh, we'll look forward to that. But uh, this is the Hopcast Book Show. My name is Adrian Hobart. It is. And my name is Rebecca Collins. And you may hear a slight difference in the sound of our uh, voices this week because we're in our new studio. Yes. So uh, we're in a box, effectively, aren't we? (laughs) Well, we are. Yeah, it's a little boxy still. Um, There are a lot of... So what we've done is we've invested heavily in a brand new studio complex. So at least exterior sounds are conquered, which they haven't been in the past. Uh, we've just had a sort of plastic um, contraption with loads of curtains. Uh, but this time it is a purpose-built studio uh, with a fan, which is off at the moment, but uh, it allows us to circulate the air, and it's pretty sizable. For, uh, for <laughs> It's certainly taking a large chunk of the living room. Uh, but there is uh, one small issue, which is it's still a little boxy in the sound that it creates, certainly on your microphone at the moment. So if you detect there's a sort of reverberation, that is why. But we are working on that, and it will be perfect, hopefully by next week. Talking of perfect, there is one disadvantage of having this new studio, one big four-legged disadvantage. <laughs> if you're referring to the fact that Aki can now no longer get in and interrupt the programme... I think that's a good thing. Well, not until she grows opposable thumbs. True. No, there's a heavy <laughs> door between us and her, so she is uh, she is banished. But it's um, yeah. Well, we've put some pictures up on um, on social media. We'll we'll stick them up uh, maybe alongside an image of Sue as well, so that you get a feel for for the new studio. But uh, I'm very proud of it, and it's going to be principally used for for audio books, which I've started working on. He's very proud of it. I think principally because he has um, allowed his inner interior decorator to come out a little bit with this so um on the walls are these foam panels which um, help deaden the sound don't they and you didn't just go for one color you went for two a two-tone foam wall yeah anthracite and purple <laughs> and it's the purple i love because purple is my favorite color and it really it looks really good because you made sure that they are matching and symmetrical you know there's no like two purples together or anything like that it does look really good and it does resemble the TARDIS a little bit it does a bit yeah <laughs> uh, not quite the same size internal dimensions but anyway it's, it's pretty good listen we haven't explained who what we do so we're Hobbit Books we are UK independent publishers of the following genres thrillers crime mystery suspense and that's it. Oh, and one ghost story. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, we we're, we're thrilled to be uh, to be going um, as, as a as a publisher, and uh, we have seventeen authors so far. You can 
really find out all about us at our website, www.hobeck.net. We've had another uh, extremely busy week. We, we, we've uh, had a week since we got back from from Newcastle, which was our brief little uh, city break. And uh, the kids are away at the moment. They're with your, your ex-husband, and uh, they've been travelling the country. They have. They've been to, if I can remember rightly, they went to Milton Keynes, uh, from which they uh, visited Bletchley Park. Then they went on to Oxford. They did some punting and apparently realised it was actually quite difficult. Uh, when previously they said they thought it looked easy. <laughs> Could have sold them that. <laughs> um, and uh, from Oxford they travelled to um, where of Stonehenge is. Wiltshire. Wiltshire, that's right. And then they went to Salisbury Cathedral and then they, uh, I believe, they travelled up to Cheltenham to the park run this morning for some reason. <laughs> um, but they were too tired to do uh, Hereford Cathedral, so yeah. they're, they're already back in the uh, Staffordshire area. Yes, uh, sleeping it off, I think. They've had a very busy two weeks, all in all. Yeah, I think so. And we've taken them to Hadrian's Wall. They've been karting, uh, took them to Bamborough Castle. Obviously, we've explored the, the 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 best bits of Newcastle as well. And we drove past Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough? Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. <laughs> yeah, one of your sons decided it would be a good idea to go visit Middlesbrough in pouring rain. Now, we didn't get out of the car, admittedly. But I really found it fascinating to look at the what remains of the Red Car Steelworks because, uh, as I was reading up, there used to be 63 blast furnaces on that stretch of Teesside um, coastline. Wow. And now there's only one, and that's just <gasps> barely hanging in there. So uh, it, is a, it is an amazing complex, and it's a real reminder of you know the halcyon days of British heavy industry. Um, but you know, I, I was I was very pleased to go and have. Yeah, um, I was too. It had a sort of a slightly dystopian feel to it, didn't it? Oh, very it was, much so. Yeah, I beautiful mean, countryside, but then <laughs> scarred by these incredible dark satanic mills. And then we went to the National Railway Museum in York, which almost was very different in the fact that you you felt the luxury of train travel and the sort of the the wealth of the Industrial Revolution almost. Absolutely, know? and we saw the Flying Scotsman in steam, albeit through you know a letterbox window from one of the sheds because uh, Flying Scotsman lives there now and it's had seven years of restoration and occasionally it does runs up and down the main line um, for enthusiasts and costs a fortune to travel on. Uh, but it was being steamed up and so that was, for me, incredibly exciting to see Mallard uh, in, as a static display, the fastest steam train of all time, but the most famous of all, Flying Scotsman, mm. being uh, brought up to steam. So that... That was fabulous. It's a great museum. I would highly recommend it. Yeah, we, hasn't been. we only whisked around it in about an hour <laughs> flat. So we'll do it again properly in the near future. But uh, that was um, that was our sort of latter part of the break. Uh, since we got back, we've obviously had a lot of things to catch up on. And um, we've been working on a number of things, not least getting this studio built, which uh, arrived on Wednesday. And some lovely guys from a cube who are based in Ripon, put it together it took them about three hours and they, it was the most incredible physical effort because all the panels weigh an absolute ton i'm surprised the floor can actually cope with this thing um <laughs> don't they, say that and then uh, i started recording well i'll tell you what why don't we play you a little bit of uh, my uh, first efforts at the merseyside crime series catch as catch can by malcolm holling drake is the first project i'm working on and uh, i've had his approval for this particular little section where I get my Scouse accents out. Later, as they sat in Sadiq's apartment, the panoramic windows offered an unrestricted view of the distant buildings, known as Liverpool's Three Graces, down the Mersey, and then 
to distant hazy refineries almost hidden on the Wirral. This view in all weathers held a different beauty. Listen, Sadiq told them. What's good for the South is equally as good for us boys and girls up North. If they can do it, then so can we, only we'll use a bit of bloody nouse. Even if we're out of the capital, it won't matter, as we'll move in and out of local cities and towns. In and out, striking in different places on the same morning. Teams, my teams, efficient, cruel and brave. My band of brothers and sisters. He had been right, too. Not only did it prove easy stealing the motorbikes, scooters and personal belongings, the team had also found it fun making the snatch. They had grown rapidly in expertise as they experienced the acute adrenaline rush as each target was stalked and attacked. What do you think? Oh, it's very good. I think you should get your Scouse accents out more often. Yeah. Um, the trouble is, that when you are doing an audio book, because I was working on the latter chapter with another character, and I was he's a sort of uh, gruff policeman who's a bit sexist uh, with a Scouse accent, and I was trying to place it, but I had a phone call in between from my son, and uh, <laughs> as a consequence, I lost the voice. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to it and figure out whether I got it right or not. Um, but I was trying to make it a little gruffer um, and a little bit more scouse than the one you've just heard. Yeah, um, I mean, you have to really focus, don't you, when you're doing this? You can't have lots of interruptions. No, um, you know, I'll take a phone call from my kids, but apart from that, I probably won't take any uh, if I'm in the booth. No, or interruptions from me, like, I'm making a coffee, would you like one? No. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's have a just a little chat about the news before we get to Sue Shepherd's interview. What's, um, what's around? So Sue Shepherd, talking of Sue Shepherd, her book publishes on the 7th of September. Now, she shares her publication day with um, Sally Rooney, who um, was, uh, she wrote a book called Normal People, which did quite well, was quite read by quite a lot of people. But when it was televised, I think it was BBC, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Televised it. It, it sort of almost exploded because... Um, Suddenly, people wanted to read the book that was the TV show was based on, and they wanted to read her. She, she had one other book, um, I think it's called Friends Like These. And so she's got a book coming out on 7th September, Beautiful World, Where Are You? Which is a great question. And um, 50 bookshops are going to open early, so people, people who are big fans of Sally Rooney can get up early and drive to their nearest bookshop and <laughs> purchase a book on publication day at whatever time in the morning, I don't know. Are you sure they're not opening for Swindled by Sue Shepherd instead and actually Sally Rooney's just going to benefit? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe on the Isle of Wight they are. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So that's where we spoke to uh, Sue from where she lives. But, um, yeah, no, uh, Swindled's great too. So if you're in that shop buying your Sally Rooney, uh, put on order. Yeah. Because, I mean, unfortunately, won't be in the sh physically in the shops at this stage. But, you know, just give them a nudge and say Yeah, that. so I was, I'm looking for a really interesting crime book and um, something... Yeah. Perhaps by Suspense. somebody called Sue Shepherd. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As well you might. And all our other authors. The more of you ask for those books, the more people <laughs> wake up to their, to their presence. Um, I, I, I must admit, I haven't really looked at um, uh, much in the, in the way of publishing news. But I, I noticed one thing. I got an email through from uh, Dave Chesson, who runs Kindlepreneur. And this is a service that we subscribe to, which helps you discover information about, you know, Amazon categories and keywords and all those sort of things that are important in your metadata uh, when you're publishing a book. But 
He said that, uh, as Amazon often do, they've had another shakedown on categories. And in fact, one of our authors was asking, you know, why is his most successful category suddenly disappeared from his book? Well, there is a reason, because they've done a shake-up and they've uh, recategorized their entire (laughs) millions of books. So things that were previously, you know, your book was listed under has been have been shifted arbitrarily really um and the they are the algorithm has shifted once more so the basically the independent publishing industry at the moment is just trying to figure out what does that mean and how do you now steer your books towards certain categories in amazon um and it's again become a mystery which is one of the great vagaries of of doing this job. I wonder if you could still email them because what you could in the past you didn't have an influence over the categories initially but you could subsequently, once a book is published, email them and give them a list of, um, I think it's up to 10 or 11 categories. 10, yeah. 10 categories, which is what we did with uh, Waking the Tiger because, you know, we wanted it in quite specific categories that were relevant to it. And they did put them in the category. So if I then just <laughs> resend the email. <laughs> I, I, I think it's more more to the point that you know, in the past, uh, Amazon would consider the seven, you get seven slots for putting keywords in. And that could influence which categories they listed you in. And they're no longer doing that, using the keywords to generate the categories. So uh, for some people, uh, it was a way of, for instance, putting your book in a category where <laughs> it could become number one because you need 10 sales flat to become the best in, you know, cat burglary um, you know, novels or whatever it might be. Um, performed by cats um it's uh it, it, it has ruffled feathers these things always do it's the same people fa- don't like change do they well no but i mean you spend your time and a lot of effort trying to figure out how things actually work with amazon because it's so important and then when it changes and they don't ever tell anybody what they've done and why they've done it it's all second guessing so it takes months for people to figure out exactly what's happened because no one from the company will ever say anything because they're, they're sworn to secrecy. And, um, and then, you know, there's, there's a lot of effort trying to not – it's not gaming the system. It's just trying to take advantage of the way that it works. And people just don't know. So that has happened in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, again, the wheels turn and all the people that, you know, one follows to figure out exactly what's happening in the industry uh, are having to scratch their heads yet again. So, you know, it may benefit us, it may not, who knows. The bottom line is we're here to sell books and whatever we can do to do so uh, is important. In fact, that uh, leads me on to just sort of mentioning who we're going to speak to next week, which is Matt J. Holmes or Matthew J. Holmes, who is one of the best, um, most knowledgeable people on how to sell books through Amazon and indeed Facebook. And uh, he'll be joining us from not so far away. He's only 26 miles away from us (laughs) (laughs) in Staffordshire. Next week on the show. So we're looking forward to speaking to him. We spoke to him uh, in a Hobeck capacity earlier in the week. And we did. Uh, we, we got a great deal from it. So yeah. We... No, he's a very interesting guy and he's got a lot of knowledge. But I wish he could just inject into my head. Uh, yeah, yeah, mine too. But, um, you know, this is the nature of it. You know, we can't, as we're discovering running this company, you know, the, the fact is that with a, a duopoly of people working on, uh, a company that has become the size Hobeck has become in terms of the number of books and the number of people working for us and with us, um, it is difficult to to get on top of and master every aspect of the business. Now I've added the audio full time, if you like, because I can work whenever I want now because it's so quiet in here. Um, that's another aspect to the to the business. It's something I've always wanted to do 
was to have a studio sufficiently quiet enough to, you know, doesn't matter what the cat's up to, what the kids are up to, all the builders behind, um, or indeed farm machinery. Very little is going to get through here, um, which is fantastic. The world could end and you wouldn't know. No, I wouldn't. You'd still be jabbering away to yourself in here. I would. I, would. I mean, it's just, I can't <laughs> begin to tell you just how different this feels to, you know, it feels like a BBC studio as as I used to have. Um, in fact, better than some of the ones oh, I've ever it? had. Well, yeah. Should I feel more nervous then? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> the one thing it hasn't got is a, at some point I have to put a red light on. Oh, yeah, yeah like so recording. So you're recording um, <laughs> red light, which would make it, you know, feel a bit... Not special. Do you put a light on the top so it looks like a TARDIS? I thought a red light meant something else. Not in the context of audio, my love. <laughs> I lived uh, in Amsterdam for a year, so I know I, what red light means. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, I visited. And I know what that means too. You didn't visit me. Actually, I didn't know you then, did I? You weren't in, you weren't <laughs> in one of the windows I was looking through. You sure? <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, let's, let's pull ourselves back into the world of proper publishing and let's... Look at some other news items. Yeah, so you were talking about the fact that there's two of us running Hobeck and, you know, it's, sort of, it's always a case of juggling. Now you've got the audio and, you know, I work freelance as well. So it's not easy. Um, so I found out about this uh, independent publisher called Panther Publi- Publishing. Now, they, they're they very similar to us, actually. Uh, they publish crime, mystery, thrillers and horror. and But it's run by just one guy called James Griffiths. And he's, um, with a lot of regret, it seems, he's he's... Come because he's um, gone public to say he just can't carry on anymore because he's working at his own job as well as running this company and he just can't do it. And lockdown has obviously taken its toll as well. So they're looking for buyers for their company or people to take on their authors. <laughs> so, you know, that, it just makes me feel quite sad that you get to that point where you just can't do it and you just have to say, I can't do it anymore. You're defeated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are moments where we, you know, wake up and wonder. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you just don't know because it doesn't take a lot for for you know things to to fall apart around you. Really, if one of us got ill, how would I we do it? That does occur to me. Yeah, if one of us had a, a serious illness where we couldn't work for a few months, then it would be very difficult to carry on. It really would because you know actually we've split our skill sets to some extent. Some of it overlaps, but you know you do a lot of stuff that I don't do, and vice Vice, versa. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, it's division of labour rather than mastering everything altogether. I certainly couldn't do the audio. I can't do a scant accent, so (laughs) (laughs) that's been evident on the program. Um, (laughs) Trailers, crime, right? Uh, You know, it's um, well. You say it's uh, James Griffiths who runs. Yeah. Well, look, uh, James. Uh, if you, I don't suppose you will be listening to this, but look, uh, we have <laughs> every, we have every sympathy and empathy. Um, it is tough, and look, Urbane Books, who were much more established than us, uh, made a similar decision and sold to to essentially transferred all of their authors over to Bloodhound Books, uh, who themselves have said they they were struggling to uh, to keep things going in their current format, so have joined up with an American mega company. Um, it, it it's it's really quite those three sort of things feed together to, to give you the impression that independent publishing has had a, a you know has challenged the mainstream and the mainstream has responded mm, and definitely. they are they have definitely moved into the world of digital marketing uh, aggressively with bigger budgets and as a consequence. Uh, the sort of easy pickings or the easier pickings that were to find new audiences just aren't there at the moment. However, 
um we remain optimistic and we remain determined to to keep things going um you know to d- develop the company and you know succeed where others um unfortunately haven't but you know uh we do feel for you yeah definitely. big time and for all the authors who are in a situation yeah, where they found a publisher that, who, that's very hard isn't it because yeah. they they do need support so yeah i do feel sorry for them yeah absolutely it was a bit of a downer isn't it that'd be <laughs> <laughs> on a more positive note so um whenever we go away anywhere and in fact even if we go away for the day like this morning we um we had to take my mum to hospital for an appointment and we had two hours to kill so we went to Ironbridge what is the second thing we did the first thing is we had a cup of coffee the second thing we did is go to a bookshop and so a lot of people do this and if you're having a holiday and you can't go abroad you have a holiday in Cornwall or Wales or you know Scotland you're going to seek out the bookshops. And as a consequence, these independent bookshops in holiday destinations in the UK are businesses booming for them at the moment. Which is really encouraging because, you know, most of those are going to be UK-based titles. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the more people who rediscover their passion for reading through wonderful independent bookshops, the, the one I'm thinking of in, in Padstow is, and indeed Wadebridge down in Cornwall, uh, two of my favourite bookshops, not very big, beautifully laid out, yeah. Very knowledgeable staff, um, which is true. I think of all independent bookshops, they really know their product. They absolutely do, yeah. And, they, and they're also good at advising people. If you go in and you say, oh, I'm looking for a... Oh, know. they love to give advice. Oh, I, and I do too as a, as a customer. Sometimes in Waterstones I overhear somebody say something and I say, you should try that. <laughs> as my phone goes. And guess what? It's a son. Uh, we'll talk to him in a second. Meanwhile, let's get to our interview, shall we? Yes. Let's, Let's talk, talk to Sue. Sue, Sue Shepherd, who has written Swindled for Hobet Books. It's out on the 7th of September. It's fabulous. Let's hear about her. Let's not use the word, but let's use the word. And see how she copes with Rebecca's random question. Yeah, the journey to uh, crime author. Let's join her now. Sue Shepherd. Sue Shepherd, thank you so much for joining us. It's, uh, well, a big week running up to the publication of Swindled. How excited do you get? before the publication of a new book? Well, I do get very excited and I do love this one because this one's been quite a long time. There's been a long gap between the three books I wrote before and this one. So it's it's like going through it all again, starting back at the beginning in a way, really. And because I've got a new publisher, obviously. So, yeah, yeah very excited. <laughs> some, some Muppet outfit in Staffordshire, I believe. Well, one Muppet and one non-Muppet, I think. <laughs> It's up to the listeners to decide who's the Muppet. But uh, no, it's, it's exciting for us too. I mean, when we have a new author, it's um, always fantastically exciting um, in that launch week. And it's, it's kind of nerve wracking. Do you get the nerves still? Yes, I do. I, do. I am nervous about it as well, because, you know, you know, don't know what the public are going to think of it. If, if people buy it, what they're going to think of it or when people buy it, hopefully. Um but, um, yeah, I think excitement is outweighing the nerves at the moment. I just want to see, you know, so many people keep asking me, when, when can I buy your book? And I tell them they can pre-order it. When can I read it? Oh, you can read it from the 7th. And so that, that will be exciting. Once people start saying to me, oh, I'm reading your book. I love this or I, I like that. And that's when it starts to get really exciting. When other people start talking to you about your characters, that's really exciting. Yeah, and they are wonderful characters. Let's um, let's introduce them Thank so you. that we can whet people's <laughs> appetite. I'm just going to move away from the microphone for a second and, and, and reach down and 
pull my shoulder out uh, as I pick the novel up. It's not a hefty one, so it's nothing, nothing, not a reflection. It's not a Lewis Hastings. <laughs> no, it's not a Hastings. Uh, we've got three key characters in Swindled, and uh, they're Lottie, Hannah, and my favourite, and I'm sure everyone's favourite. Oh, really, I love him. Secret love-hate relationship with Vincent. <laughs> now, uh, I guess he's the person that we, we meet first and foremost in the book and uh, you know, get, to, get to sort of get a feeling for. Tell us about Vincent. Well... When I create characters, I just kind of, what I tend to do is just think of, like in this instance, I just thought of three quite sort of random people and they were fairly just basic. And then I start writing about them and they kind of just, it sounds a bit mad, but they kind of come to me and tell me a bit more about themselves as we're going along. So I probably, I probably just started off with, oh, well, I'll make, I don't know why he's Italian. I'll make him Italian. He's a con man. He preys on elderly rich ladies and that's probably all I started with and then as you're writing they kind of say to you well yeah but this is what this is what my childhood was like and and this is this is why I'm the way I am and you and they you just they just kind of build and build and now I can't imagine Vincent not fully formed but I mean obviously he he wasn't at the beginning so I think you, you just kind of get you just and then obviously like with Hannah I wanted her to be new to private investigating. I wanted there to be something in her past that had meant that she couldn't do the career she really wanted to do, which was to be a police officer. But at the beginning, I had no idea what that thing was or at all. So I literally was writing blinds at the beginning and just, you know, saying she was really angry that she wasn't a police officer anymore, but I didn't even know why she wasn't. And then eventually she kind of came to me and said, well, this is what happened and this is how it happened. And that's kind of how they... That's how they come alive to me, just so gradually they, they speak to me. Some people understand that. Some people think I'm nuts. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I hit... being a little bit nuts comes with the territory of uh, being an author, <laughs> doesn't it? So... Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I do you, think they... you, know, you have to live in that world of make-believe, don't you? And, 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 and believe it yourself and feel. And when you get to that stage where they're talking to you, that really is very real. <laughs> Especially if you actually yeah. hear their voices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say I actually hear their voices. But it's more a kind of a thing if I'm stuck and I'm not sure why a character is doing what he's doing, or I'll take the dogs out and I'll, you know, think to my take the dogs for a walk and just think, well, tell me then, why, why is this? And I'll be thinking about it and then it will just kind of pop into my head, oh, I get it. It's because of this, you know. So it's not so much that I actually hear a voice go, Sue, this is what happened, <laughs> but more just it kind of comes to you and you think, oh yeah, of course. And so that's the thing I always say when other writer friends say to me, I'm really struggling with this character. He's, he's been a man, he's been a woman, he's been, uh, he's been 50, he's been 20. I don't know what he does for a job. I can't get him in my head properly. I say to them, well, just, you know, write a piece just about him, just a little piece, not for the book, just for you. And just chat to him and get him to tell you more about himself because you're obviously not letting him in enough kind of thing. And that's that's really how I think characters develop is just by spending time with them, really. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, perhaps there's a, there's always a kernel, isn't there? Of, um, you might imagine somebody from you've met before or uh, even starting with an archetype. As we start with an Italian swindler, you know, what sort of person, yeah. what would motivate him to become that person? And uh, I think you've done that brilliantly. That's why Vincent is such a great character in the sense that you really empathise for the 
quite difficult upbringing he had and the lack of love in that in that childhood um that that makes him you know crave the better things in life to sort of kind of make himself feel better about what happened yeah and he's also he wants to make his donna proud doesn't he he's, he's sort of talks about her quite a lot and and i know that as a, as a female reader i i think oh oh he loves his grandmother how lovely you know you can't help but yeah. sort of, even all the bad things he's done and he's doing you can't help but feel that sort of oh but there's a little bit of goodness in him somewhere <laughs> yeah i think he had to have he you know i couldn't write about someone who was just completely horrible through and through and there was nothing redeemable about them but the, occasionally vincent would redeem himself by thinking nice thoughts about his his nonna or something but um yeah it's interesting you say lack of love in in some ways he had too much love but it was the wrong you know too much attention as a child but the wrong kind of it's it's difficult to describe without saying too much but yeah his his childhood was definitely very important and even though you don't really hear that much about it it does shape who he who who he became definitely we've not mentioned Lottie yet now Lottie um is well she's spoiled and you know a bit brattish but she is motivated in this story because, well, without giving too much away, uh, somebody comes into the into her sort of circle and takes it all away. So uh, that's her motivation is revenge. It, it strikes me. Is that is that fair? Yes, and I think um, of all of them, Lottie. I know that this phrase goes on a journey is used a lot, um, but I think she does do, do go on the the most important journey because. I, I didn't particularly like her when I first started writing because she was spoiled and she had everything and she assumed that she would always have everything. She would never have any hardship because that's how she was brought up. That's what her mother told her. But, um, you know, then obviously this these series of devastating things happened to her, but she's a nicer person in a way after all these things have happened to her because she's not that horrible bratty person anymore. And I couldn't have had her as a, have such an important relationship as she has with Hannah and makes such an important friendship if she didn't become nicer really if you see what I mean yeah and I think she looks back on her her past doesn't she and sort of re-evaluates what she used to be like which I quite like because it's you know it it makes her sort of a yes and she she actually continues to do that because I'm writing um the second book in the series and and even in the second book sometimes um, her and Hannah will, will like refer to what she used to be like and they would sort of laugh and say god you were such a whatever you know <laughs> and so um so she is all she is continually um growing and getting nicer and and often looking back and thinking god what was I like before but she but she just didn't really realize it because she was cocooned in this lovely house and with you know money and everything so um yeah, so she, I, I think she goes on quite an important journey. I do, I know it's an awful phrase, but um, I like the change that takes place in her. And again, I, I don't, you know, I don't feel that I made, I didn't sort of manufacture that to happen. It just sort of happened um, as as it as the book went on, really. Yeah, that organic nature is always, you know, the best stories come from that. But, you know, yes yeah I, yep. well I think so it's, it's only you know it's only one way to write but it's the only way I can do it really yeah uh, but a lot of people will will take that you know they'll pick up an instruction book and look we recommend a few uh, along the way here um, and they'll emphasize the journey 
but I think what you've um, you've described is, is is a better way of putting it. You know, how does your character evolve, develop, change in 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 the course of a story or over a series of books? That's that's the crucial element, not uh, necessarily you know plotting out a journey. But I think it's also a reflection on life, isn't it? I mean, we all have experiences like that where we look back on our past selves and think, oh, my God, was I really that? Whatever it was. Well, no, we don't. That's the whole point, is that some people don't do that. They do, don't they? Yeah, for everybody does No, that. no, we know. Plenty of, <laughs> right, we're going to have an argument now. But we, we've got plenty of people in our lives who don't have any sense of self-reflection. They just want to reflect on, you know, they they, they turn the turn the, the, the gaze and the, the light on other people well, maybe, they're to blame for it maybe I, it's, it's i have hope that they will do at some point yeah. i think so you're constantly sort of waiting for that moment to strike sorry them. so i know you've been <laughs> we've cut in and so no, that's all right i'm just listening i'm <laughs> just this is, i'm just this is a reflection on the strengths of your characters i think because they are very real you've created them that they are very real i i find they're real to me you know i can't I'm... oh totally <laughs> Yeah, let's let's that, let's hear from the author, shall we? Sorry, that's lovely. No, that is lovely to hear because that's the biggest compliment you could give me that that the, the, they're real to you because you know I I I made them, so that's great. You carry on, <laughs> carry on saying how real they are. Well, I mean, it's, it's going to be exciting to see what people react. I mean, we've obviously it's been distributed to the heart readers, and there was some fantastically positive uh, feedback. We, which is what we'd expect, because you know we don't. Uh, signed Duff authors and Duff books. <laughs> well, but we hope not. Yeah. No, we, we don't. But um, that was encouraging. But yeah, there's nothing like the the court of uh, of uh, you know uh, customers out there buying the books on on Amazon and whatever and 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 enjoying them. Hopefully, um, but I'm sure they will. Um, in terms of this as a departure for you, because you know your sort of first genre uh, that you've, you've you've concentrated on wasn't crime at all. No, um, my my first three books were, well, they were described, I always describe them as rom-coms, and I think they were described as rom-coms, but I, they, they weren't really, rom- they weren't romance as in, you know, they weren't sort of Mills and Boone type romance. I'd say they were more sort of just, you know, people watching and relate, watching various relationships, not always romantic relationships, um, unfold. Um, but... They, they were more comedy. They did have a bit more comedy in them, I think, than than obviously swindled. Um, so yeah, I'd, they've been called rom coms, but with a little bit more grit to them than they weren't like, like nice and light and airy. I wouldn't say no, but uh, that's. I mean, that's a very. Uh, it, it's it plays to your strengths again. You know, it's observation of people and creating real characters in real situations, putting them through it a little bit and seeing how they emerge together, I guess, is the romantic element, is the sense that, you know, circumstances yes, either take yeah. them apart or bring them together again. Yes, there were, I mean, there were some romances in, but of the, over the three books, I think there was more important relationships. And one of the books was about a, quite an unusual pair of twins. And so their relationship really was more important than any romance in it. And um there was a, a a grandmother who was quite important in one of them so so yeah not, i don't know i don't know what what else to call them apart from what they they ended up being called rom-coms but i always felt they weren't quite those what really. did you i mean in terms of that that journey to oh, here we go uh, <laughs> sorry i've used that word we're on a journey <laughs> the j word aren't we 
Um, but your author career and the point where you became a published author, tell us about that because uh, you know many people won't be perhaps familiar with with the story and and and, and how you've got to this point. Okay, well you'll have to stop me if I go on too long because because I, I always go, <laughs> well, it's a long story. Um, Basically, I've always sort of written bits and pieces. I remember having a typewriter at my parents' house and writing silly little short stories and things. And then um, quite a few years ago, when my children, when my sons were young, I signed up for this writing, creative writing course. It was once a week at a lady's house. And she she was a local author. She's actually now writes as um, Jane Corey, the thriller writer. She's like Sunday Times bestseller and everything now. Um, and I signed up for it and I went along every Thursday night for um, about two hours for 10 weeks. And I was very nervous because, you know, when you've got young children and you, you lose quite a lot of your confidence. And I thought, oh, it's going to be loads mm. of like academic y type people and they're going to be talking about literature. And I won't know, <laughs> you know, I won't know what to say. And actually, it was nothing like that at all. It was amazing. It was, I felt like I'd found something that I could do that I loved. And it was amazing. And um, she, she would teach you a different aspect of writing every week. And one of the things we did when we first arrived was we would write flash fiction which I'm sure you know what flash fiction is but in case anyone doesn't it's basically where you just sit down and you write for like 10 minutes about anything that comes into your head it can be a story or anything and um, we would do that at the beginning of every week and I was running late one week as anyone who knows me would know that I was running late and um, (laughs) (laughs) so I drove a bit you know through these country lanes it was in Berkhamsted it's very sort of lovely area and it's but it's all dark country lanes and I got there by the seat of my pants and you know um so she said right sit down and just write anything and I literally just sat down and I just wrote this piece um from the point of view of like a sort of tongue-in-cheek piece the point of view of the guardian angel who had to look after me and it was about you know oh god I've just picked up my allocation for the day I've got Sue Shepherd I hate watching over Sue Shepherd you know she, <laughs> She's, she parks in all the wrong places. She does this. She's, she runs late. She, and um, so it sort of described the process of what a guardian angel, they queue up and they get their allocation and then they fly off and watch the person for the day. And it was just a little silly piece about how they didn't like to watch me because I was hard work. <laughs> and, um, and that was literally it. It just sort of came into my head. And um, when we read our flash fiction out, Jane said to me, um, I really like that. Like they sort of laughed. Everyone said, "Oh, that's very good." And and then Jane said to me, "You should have a go at you know writing a bit more about that." That's I like that angle, looking at it from the guardian angel as opposed to the person. So I sort of went away and played around with it and created some characters to be watched by angels. And um, just a, a short seven years later, I finished my first novel, which and that's what my first novel is based on. So that's that was the first book I ever wrote and um, I was very lucky that um, I got it published by Corazon Books and he uh, sort of helped me to turn it into um, Doesn't Everyone Have a Secret which which was my first um, novel so hopefully that wasn't too long a story. No, no, it's no, a really no. interesting story it's funny seven years seems to be the magic number of years doesn't it because well, <laughs> yeah no we've, we've heard that number a number of times and we've and again it's a familiar story of um you know 
having the the, ch- the typewriter, I did the same actually. I, I used to try. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was writing a, an epic sci-fi saga with a friend of mine, Andrew. Uh, when <laughs> and I, I wrote The Witch old. of Wolverhampton with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I didn't have a friend. <laughs> I had to do it all by myself. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's well, we never. We never got beyond um, getting the Star Wars figures out, and that was the, the issue with us. Uh, you know, we, our writing sessions were either that or I'd be jealously thumbing through all his Doctor Who books. Look at this picture that. Yeah, we never really got very far, uh, but I did at least try and start the introduction. So, the, the, yeah, the intent was there. Yeah, the intent was there. Maybe one day, now that we're uh, in our dotage, uh, we'll get round to, to writing again. Yeah, I'd like to rewrite The Witch of Wolverhampton, actually, yeah, I'm sure, as an adult. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> no, well, that's... that's um, Fabulous. I mean, what a great concept. And I'm just thinking, God, I've got to read that book. Now because... Do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, oh, God, my guardian angel won't want to be with me either. And your guardian angel probably struggles with you. What do you mean? <laughs> in, what, I... in what regard? In what regard? Hang, no, hang, I, I can't let this go further. Oh, no. What have I said? In what regard would it, my guardian angel be struggling with? Um, me? Just just how uh, you much how you enjoy driving and parking. As an example, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So, okay, if Nigel Mansell was my guardian angel, that wouldn't be a problem for them, would it? He'd have to take over the wheel, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great concept. Yeah, I, I really like that. <laughs> and, and again, it was quite a similar thing in that I just had I started with three characters. Obviously, one of them is is fairly similar to me, um, and then I literally just thought of two other characters and started writing about them and then gradually they kind of entwined and their lives became part of each other's and but with also you've also got the angels kind of getting involved and tapping them on the shoulder suggesting things to them and you know that kind of thing so but it did start in a similar way to swindled in that it was just three people and then they kind of told me how they all how they were you know I remember one of them saying to me once well I well I live in that house didn't you realize I live in that house I was like oh god of course they live in that house and then it all makes sense you know so it was a very similar process it was just it just took a really long time because I had young children at the time and I kept putting it away you know and then I'd tell people I've written half a book and they'd say oh my god if you've written half a book you should write a whole book and I'd be like yeah I really must get back to it you know and then another six months would go by or something but it's it's harder when you when you've got young children and I was working you know as well it's it's difficult to get keep getting back to it absolutely um that is that is difficult so what where would you say you are now in terms of um, being in a position to dedicate more time to your writing? Is, is it, kids are older. It's a lot easier. Now. It's a lot easier now with a twenty-one-year-old and an eighteen-year-old because they go to work. <laughs> and, and as you know, I, I work in a school, so I, I work. I do write a lot in the holidays. So at the moment, I'm writing every day. Um, but obviously, once I go back to term time, it's more. It's more difficult. I don't put any. Um, I don't make myself write every day. If it's not there, it's not there kind of thing. Um, I just write when it, when I think of it. But I'm getting towards the conclusion to um, book two in the series. And so it's a bit like when you're on a Netflix series and you're getting near the end, you you, you want to binge watch it. It's a bit like that with my <laughs> saying, like, that's me done for the day. And then I think of the next bit. And they, oh, I've just got to get this bit down, you know. So um, I am writing quite a lot at the moment um, because because I'm getting to the conclusion 
once I have to go back and edit the whole thing again, I don't know if I'll be quite as enthusiastic. No. <laughs> No, I'm with you there. I mean, that's 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 always done. Some people love that process. Yeah, I was about though. to say that because it sounds like the writing is the bit that you really love, but yeah, the editing is is because it is much more of a technical, fiddly skill. Yeah, yeah. Well, they say that the first draft is you telling yourself the story, and so at the moment, I'm, you know, at quite an exciting bit. Well, I think it's exciting bit in the story, and so I'm just telling myself it, and I just want to get it written down as quickly as possible. Um, you know, once when you start back again and you're going right back to the beginning and you're literally doing editing and you're looking for errors and you're making sure you've included all your five senses and the weather and all the things that you need to sort of embroider it. Um, I do enjoy that, part, but not as much, I think, not as much as telling myself the story at the beginning. What other processes do you go through? I mean, you talked about the senses and it's easy, you know, it's easy to drop a couple. I don't know that, though. What, what is that about the five senses? Well, if you know, oh. if you've got a scene, you just want to be in a position where you're conjuring that up for the reader, really. I mean, you know, not without burdening them with too much detail. Is that yes. right? Yeah, well, when you're trying to get the story down, you're trying to get the, the real, you know, meat of the story down. You're, you want to, you're, you're writing conversations where literally people are just talking and you're not, they're not doing anything, they're just talking. And then what I find is I go back and I look at it and I think, well, they, they've just talked for five minutes, but I don't know what they were doing or where they were or anything. So then I go back and place them, place them in a, in a place like, oh, they're in the park or they're in the kitchen. If they're in the kitchen, maybe they're making a cup of tea. What can they hear? What can they smell? And yeah. just add a few, not, not over the top. I mean, it's not literally, I'm not, I don't write prose or anything like, oh, and they could smell the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I just think you need to put a little something because otherwise it's literally just a conversation on paper and you need to say where they are. One person was making the other one coffee. So the other person says, thank you. Maybe puts the hands around the mug because it's comforting to hold the mug, you know, just things like that. But on the first draft, just I'm in such a rush to get this story down and tell myself a story that I tend to forget things like that. So when I say about adding the five senses or the weather, that's uh, that's usually done on the second draft for me. Mm. No, that's that's it's that's fascinating. Are there any sort of um, things that you look out for in your own writing? Where you know you might have uh, you recognise there you know a bad habit or something. Suism. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am. Um, uh, well, we all have words that we 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 repeat over and over, um, and. <laughs> I, I don't know why, because I don't swear very much in real life. Well, my friends might say I do. I've had a couple of gin and tonics. But um, <laughs> when I write, I tend to make very sweary characters. I make characters that swear a lot. And I remember my, my old publisher from my rom-coms used to say to me, there's too many Fs in this. <laughs> You've got to go and take half these Fs out, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So what I've got is a list of words that I, that I use too much. And what I will always do it when I'm before I submit, like before I submitted swindled to anyone, yourself included, I um I checked for word repetition and like things like indeed. I, people are always saying indeed. Nobody really says that in real life. No, but for some no, reason my characters say indeed quite a lot. So um, you know, and also starting sentences with so. Oh, comma, that's a common blah, blah, blah. thing isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I will, so i will that's one of my processes a bit further down the line 
I would, I'm not worried about it whilst I'm writing this book because I just, like I say, want to get the story out of me and onto the page. But at a later date, I will check for all the swear words and all the repeat, repetitive words. And this list of words to check is getting longer and longer all the time. Every book I write, I'm adding more words to be checked. So that takes quite a long time. It's quite a long process. But you feel that it's a much better um, manuscript once you've done that. So that's definitely one of the things that I do. Repeat words that I didn't need to. That's, uh, no, that's fascinating. In terms of your, 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 um, sort of writing environment you talk about when you get stuck you walk the dogs um uh and get out and have a you know get into fresh air and a bit of exercise and come back and let the characters talk to you but in terms of your writing space have you got a specific area because a lot of people we speak to seem to have sheds they have sheds don't they <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a thing i know i'm quite i'm quite jealous of all these writing dens no i don't at the moment i don't i literally i either write on the sofa or at the kitchen table um sometimes I write in bed <laughs> um so I basically just my laptop wherever my laptop is I write there and it's got to be a cup of tea um on the go at the same time um but you know we are um hoping to move house <laughs> in the uh not too distant future I'm really hoping so um I'm maybe going to insist on one of these little sheds I think oh yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah, I would yeah. love a little area that's just my writing den it would be amazing it would be. Are you not a cafe writer then? So a lot of people will plonk themselves in a cafe and, and found it really hard in lockdown not to be able to go to a cafe and people watch and create that environment. No, that's not, I, don't, I think I'd end up just watching everybody and, and not get anything written, actually. I've never really written much in a public. I think I wrote once on a train um, where I was going to visit my friend in Hemel Hempstead and I took my... my laptop and I wrote on the train and I found it quite weird because I kept thinking is everyone looking at me does everyone because I'm writing the, these scenes and I'm thinking do they know what I'm doing I don't know why <laughs> but um so I've never really uh, written in public it's always at home it's interesting that is interesting that. yeah I once wrote yeah. a short story on a train and I actually wrote about all the people sitting around me and I was really conscious I was thinking please don't look over my shoulder <laughs> see yourself described on my yeah. Yeah, no, I've not really ever um, thought about writing in a cafe. No, I mean, I, I've, I've tried it and I quite enjoy it. Yeah, actually, I quite enjoy it, yeah. Um, I've done it, yeah, also on a train, but on my phone, um, using Google Docs. And, <laughs> you know, you're thumping away. And I was stood up as well. So it was like a quite long journey. I think it was over to Leeds from Manchester. Um, and it was a crammed train, and I decided I had to carry on writing, which was just bizarre. I must have, I've remembered now, so during lockdown, I was stood in a queue with a trolley outside Tesco. I did write a little bit as well. So. <laughs> but I'm very yeah, occasionally... I think we're all different, aren't we, the way we... Yeah, um, I mean, if I get an idea for something, I'll get notes on my phone and just make a little note of what I want to write, and, I, you know, obviously I'll do that anywhere, but not actually to... To create a story now i've not done that in public i must be shy <laughs> <laughs> what about the wider family then what do they think of your writing career um yeah i have lots of support my my husband and my sons are really really excited about swindled um you know because it was quite a long time ago now that um, doesn't everyone have a secret was published and then the the two subsequent books so um they're older now my sons so i think they're sort of more it's more exciting for them now because they can understand it a bit more and they um 
one of my sons doesn't read at all so he's not going to read swindled but the other one does read but he has asked me to tell him what pages there might be anything rude because he, <laughs> <laughs> I think he will be emotionally and mentally scarred if he has to read anything sexual written by his mother so <laughs> So I'm going to sign one of the books for him and just put a little note in it saying it might be good if you don't read page number, blah, blah, and blah. <laughs> Wowzers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're very excited about it coming out. And I think also because it's coming out straight into paperback, whereas um, Doesn't Everyone Have a Secret came out on Kindle. And then because it did well, it got to number seven in the Kindle chart. Um, my publisher... Uh, did it as a paperback but um the other two were never released as paperback because they didn't reach the, the dizzy heights of the first one so we've only ever really sort of seen that one book of mine in paperback and so and that was quite you know obviously about six years ago now so to see to be able to show them swindled and be able, they'll be able to hold it in their hand I think it's um it makes it feel very real you know yeah I think so, yeah, that's lots important. Of support. I, th I think Sorry. you know we are sometimes here forget that that's an important tangible uh experience to, to actually hold the paperback because we obviously we everything we do is simultaneously published as a paperback and i know that a lot of independent publishers go the ebook route and then wait for a success and then commit but we we, we do it the other way around maybe maybe <laughs> naively but um there is something in that I, I think you know that being able to hand a, you know a proper paperback yeah, copy over i think that's partly my influence because i don't actually own a kindle so i do like the paperbacks yeah no it's a bit i mean i was really pleased when when we first started talking and you and you said that would be part of the you know the contract on we'll release it as a paperback i was just really pleased because it for me i suppose i'm old school really but a paperback book you can't really beat it and i was when my copies arrived it was just lovely it was like oh these are my babies <laughs> you know and you and you don't get that I mean you can put your name into Amazon and there's your books and that's great I'm not saying that's not a wonderful feeling as well but it's not quite the same as holding a book in your hand you know and do they smell like books <laughs> um yes yeah they, yeah they, <laughs> they smell like books yeah I've, I've only signed one so far I'm working myself up to sign a few more it's very nerve-wracking because you think, oh, I don't want to make a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it's an expensive thing to have the pen slips or... Or put the wrong name in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make, make some ridiculous spelling mistake and say, oh, I'm going to have to buy that one myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I... then it could be valuable one day, couldn't it? Well, it will be valuable one day, I think. Yeah, actually... no, the, the one with the error in, I mean. Oh, I see what you mean. No, I mean, I, I mean, my handwriting is terrible. So, you know, should I ever get around to finishing a book and getting it published... I'm really, really, really going to have to spend a few weeks improving my handwriting. See, because... my problem is I'm left-handed, so I've got the smudge issue. Oh, you oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't wow. use an don't use an ink pen then. Use a yeah. Use a biro. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing, though, isn't it? I mean, these are the for for the, the people listening to our podcast to the to the Hobcast Book Show this week. We're talking to Sue Shepherd. Uh, who knew that uh, authors and publishers went through so many anxieties about <laughs> how to sign books but you know that's the nature of the business isn't it it's I think you know the more more we get into it it is the the, the trick is suspending anxiety <laughs> for long enough to be actually able to produce something 
Yes, yeah. I think writers probably are quite anxious people. <laughs> no, I think that's true. And uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into, you, you see this paperback when it comes back from the printers and, you know, it's a thing of beauty, but, you, you know, you don't, <laughs> don't oh. quite realise how much... <laughs> there's a there's a dhl man who comes and brings us uh is it you know or ups i can't remember yeah, it doesn't UPS, matter which which UPS. ups come and he has always has a glint in his eye when he brings the boxes of books because <laughs> he wants and one. he's one of the few delivery guys that come here that don't just dump it on the doorstep he will wait for you to come and pick it up physically from him because he knows what's inside and he has a glint and he goes oh, you know more books uh, and <laughs> <laughs> he's our regular guy he's lovely he's lovely um but then you know you you open the up the box and and the cat gets in the box That's well the, the cat gets in the, yeah but no <laughs> after that you just pick it up and you go please 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 print properly the margins to be right the print to be decent size uh it's not to be wonky cut incorrectly yeah All those it other actually things. says sue shepherd rather than i don't know robert Dawes inside or something <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, so that's your that's interesting because that's your side of the anxiety because you're of the actual product, isn't it? You know, my anxiety is all about the words in the product, and yours is about the finished product kind of thing. Yeah, you know. Well, they look mixed, fine to you know, me. I mean, these copies that I got. Right. No, I mean, you know, obviously we don't own the words, but we own the ed- the editing process is a collaborative yeah. effort, and yes. we we put a put considerable amount of time into that side of things ourselves proofing the copies so there's an awful lot of that and also you know when you sign anybody um you're kind of investing in their hopes as well in the sense that you you know our anxiety is that we can fulfill um everyone's ambitions for for the for the book because it's you know it's a wonderful book they're all wonderful books uh but can we get them in front of enough people to to make them you know to to sort of justify the effort if you know what i mean yeah that's the hard yeah. bit yeah well I think you do a lot I think you do a, a, a lot of social media and a lot of promotion I'm you know really I'm looking forward to because because my previous publisher was quite was was like yourselves an independent publisher but it didn't do quite as much social media so I didn't see certainly didn't make me nice little videos like <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> makes so you know seeing things like that makes it feel oh this is a this is amazing. This is like a proper book and everything. I've got a video <laughs> with, a, you know, with soundtrack. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the really... movie's coming out in November. Yeah. I know well, it may, it, it did. It, it felt well like. It. I mean, I think November's pushing it, but uh, <laughs> only because Robert Dawes is in the. I can't wait to cast Vincent. Oh, Robert Dawes? No, no. he's not a Vincent. No, <laughs> I can't wait to cast Vincent. <laughs> it would be great. I would love to see them. Love to see them on the screen, particularly Vincent. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it's got to, it's got to happen. Um, you know, it, you're right though. I mean, it, it is that that side of things. A lot of our energy. I mean, Bex has been making the videos and done an absolutely superb job of creating but these. It doesn't feel like work to me. No, well, that's fun. it. You know, <laughs> when it's going well, this job is the most fun in the world. Um, yes well you could say that about writing as well you know when it's going well it's not really work at all it's only when you're stuck or when you're doing the seventh read through of the manuscript that it sort of starts to become work really yeah and there's also that thing I I think sometimes um certainly when I I've made a (laughs) I read um 
six rules of writing by John Steinbeck was turned up on Facebook the other day and I read them out to, to yeah. Bex. We were having dinner and and I read them out and I, and I realised that I'd been breaking one of his cardinal rules, which is don't revise your work until you've got it down. But that's exactly well, so what you were saying, exactly Sue. what you see. Yeah, yeah you, you, but you, you actually do. You just get it down, which is what John Steinbeck was saying. So you are, you're doing a good thing. <laughs> oh, right. I'm doing the right thing. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I don't go back and read what I've written ever. I obviously do. And sometimes I do a little bit of editing as I go along. But I think what you can do is you can get so stuck you know you get to chapter four or something you think oh I'll start back reading it and you read one two three and four and then you think oh I'll just check this and, and and you never get further than chapter four so you, at some point you've got to just say look just get get it down get it down and then I can you know I, as long as you don't show anyone that first draft I mean when I finish this this book now I won't show it not even my husband I won't even let him read it until I've at least you know read it another three times or something and edited it and edit it and edit it so nobody sees that first draft apart from you so just keep going just get it down adrian <laughs> <laughs> that's told me that's told me you're absolutely right uh, no but then again you see if you look at the hemingway of doing things i'm, I'm getting very sort of lardy <laughs> um he said what he did was um he read everything he'd written up to this point and then started so he would do that every morning he'd read up to, so goodness knows if you got for him the bell oh my goodness final chapter that's a heck of a <laughs> commitment isn't I, it he can't possibly do that well that's what he said he did but then again a lot of what he said was a load of old bs wasn't it really? but... he wouldn't be actually be starting anything new until about sort of five o'clock in the evening or no exactly every day we get later and get the alcohol out yeah <laughs> No, I mean, ever so often I do stop and think I need to go back and read it again to make sure I'm still on track and things. But um, the other thing that's interesting is that as, as you write, the characters become more and more real to you and you, you know them better. So by the end of the book, you know these characters so well. And when you pick it up again and say, right, I'm going to start right back at the beginning, you read chapter one and your character will say something and you'll think, he would never say that. He would never do that. And you realise that by the end, you know them so much better than you did when you first wrote them. And so often you'll go back and change whole scenes and whole the way they react to things because it's they're now people that you know. So you, it's so much easier to write about them. But the only way you can get to that bit is to get to the end and get to know them kind of thing. Yeah, the, the alternative is that I mean, a lot of people we've spoken to would would do that exploratory writing write their backstories uh write a 50 page you know some people <laughs> even more than that 50 page uh, plot um synopsis you know they have all the the the, the 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 scenes mapped out uh and then they commit to it but that's not your style no i, do, I think that would um i think that takes some of the joy out of it the joy for me is just is seeing where it goes and i think if you if you put too much into it if you had it all planned out this is what's going to happen I know how it's going to end I mean I never know how a book's going to end until I'm at least halfway through um you know I said to you or I said to you before in this book that I'm writing at the moment um I won't say too much about it but someone has possibly gone missing and I didn't know till quite a long way into the book what on earth had happened to them people were referring to this person and I didn't even know, but I thought, well, I'll just keep referring to her and eventually it will come to me. So I think if I'd known the whole book at the beginning, a bit of you would think, was well, there not really any point writing it now? Because I kind of know it all already. But that's just the way I am. I know lots of people much prefer to 
to know where they're going and what's happening with it you know it's just about what you how you work really which writers have inspired you do you think and in in um over the years well I was thinking about this and I thought that you might ask me this question. Um, <laughs> and funnily enough, when I was younger, I read all the Agatha Christie's when I was probably a teenager. Um, you know, I read them because you could read them in a day. They were only yeah. small. And you could just devour them. And I, I didn't really think that Swindled was like Agatha Christie, but some, one person did say that it reminded them a bit of a sort of cosy um, mystery. And um, so I guess she did influence me but um it was so much easier for her because she could basically just kill someone off with a bit of homemade poison or smash a watch and it would change the whole time of death and everything and obviously nowadays you'd never get away with that you have to put a little bit more um into your plots than that but um I think she did influence me because I just loved the whole thing of dropping in red herrings and dropping little hints here and there and who did what and what I love about writing suspense is that you get to decide what the reader knows and when they know it so you give them a sort of little jigsaw pieces and they just put it all together and that's what I really like about writing suspense that you can it's your decision and so in a way that's a little bit Agatha Christie in that she would tell you little bits and pieces from different characters points of view and you would have to sort of put it all together um but then obviously that I sort of moved on from Agatha Christie now um I think I read quite a lot of Marion Keys when I was um maybe about you know I don't know 10 years ago or so and she, what I liked about her books was that she often wrote from different viewpoints and I that was quite an important sort of lesson. I liked the way she would tell a story from maybe three different people's points of view. And I think that's where I get, that's why I do it because that's how I like to tell a story. I can't really imagine telling a story just from one person's point of view and going from A to Z. You have to do it all out of order and you have to do it from lots of different people's points of view. And then you get the whole story, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Do, do, do you think now, though, you've dipped your toes into crime and suspense and you, you've uh, just talked about your second book. Is that is that where you're going now or would you ever try something completely different? I don't know, urban fantasy or <laughs> historical um, smurfs? <laughs> <laughs> historical smurfs. Um, well, I would love to write a time travel novel. Um, I've had a love of time travel since I was a child. Um I wrote I read the first book I can really remember reading was um Charlotte Sometimes by Penelope Farmer um which was about a girl who goes away to a boarding school and she keeps swapping places with a girl from like the 1940s and I, I read it when I was quite young you know well, probably when I just first could read for myself and I was just absolutely blown away and now Anytime there's anything to do with time travel on the television, my husband says, oh, timey-wimey, Sue, you're going to love it. <laughs> and I go, oh, has it got time travel in it? So um, I've always said I would like to write a time travel book eventually. Um, so may, you know, maybe I'll try that at some point. But at the moment, I'm really enjoying you know, the, the Sandlin PI series. I'm enjoying really getting to know the characters that are in the second book and just... So I'll see what happens after that, I guess. But yeah, I would, I would, uh, I do quite like a little bit, a little bit sci-fi. If you look at my three books that I wrote before, they were 
I mean, one was, as I say, was about twins which have who have quite an unusual relationship, which if you can read the book, you'll see what I mean. Um, and obviously I wrote, my second book was about parallel lives. It was a kind of sliding doors mm. type thing. So there's always a little, in those, there was always a little bit, and the guardian angels were a little bit, not quite real. So there's always a little bit of sci-fi in those. So yeah, maybe I'll become a big sci-fi writer or something. <laughs> At some Why point, not? you could dip into each. However, you feel at the time. I'm going to write a crime novel this this year. Next year, I might do a, a yeah urban. Yeah, I don't think you don't think you can only write one genre, really. If you, if you want to have a go, you know. But that was what really, you know, when I went from what I was writing before to the the book that I've sent to you was because I just realised I liked the fact that you're in control of the red herrings and the mm. dropping in the little clues and things and I thought well, rather than doing it as a kind of rom-com I'm going to try and make it more of a suspense and that's obviously where where Swindled came from yeah and it's it's wonderful for that I think it's time is it not it is Rebecca? time I'm gonna oh, no. <laughs> good question for okay, you well, let, we're, we're gonna create a jingle for this so we're just gonna have to leave a little gap now ready for the jingle and it is now time for Rebecca's random question of the week. What is your favourite lighthouse? My favourite lighthouse? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> of all the things I could have thought you were going to ask me. Um, well, there's, there's uh, I think it's, um, oh, gosh, it's going to sound, make me sound really thick. I think there's one at St Catherine's on the Isle of Wight. I think it's the one at St Catherine's I'm picturing. And I've been for quite a lot of dog walks there with David, my husband, and it's just absolutely beautiful. There's no one else around. And I've got, that's all I can say, really. I'll have to, have to go and Google, is it, or ask him, is it St Catherine's that we went to the dogs to? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have so a related a... question then to my random question is, would you like to live in a lighthouse? You say you're moving house soon, so how about a lighthouse? Well, I think my husband would love to live in a lighthouse. He would love to live in any sort of building that's quite unusual. Um, was it Jonathan Creek who lived in a lighthouse? Oh, no, a windmill he lived in, didn't he? That's not the right same thing. Yeah, I wouldn't mind living in a lighthouse. The only problem is you might get, uh, you know, boats crashing into you in the in the storms, I suppose. But, yeah, I'll go for it. I, I think the cool. most difficult thing is the kitchen cabinets. Because they'd have to go round. <laughs> they have to be round. I did see um, a program about restoring an old, uh, I think it was an oak house or something, and that had round rooms, and they managed to get kitchen cupboards in there. But I'll keep looking on Right Move, Rebecca, and if um, <laughs> the lighthouse comes up sort of uh, on the Isle of Wight, I'll um, I'll let you know. I wow. would love it. I would absolutely love to live in a lighthouse. I think we should stick you in the Needles Lighthouse. <laughs> That's, that's an impressive yeah, one. Yeah, oh, I should have said that one, shouldn't I? Yeah. I kind of is that's I thought you might say that actually when 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 Rebecca asked the question. But yeah, because I, mean, I thought you've got some to choose from, haven't you? Yeah, on the well, other well that's that's true. That's true. I mean, um I had some friends who who, who bought the Bell Two light, lighthouse in um Eastbourne and then proceeded to spend about quarter of a million quid having to move it back <gasps> off the cliff face because it was about to tumble into the sea. Oh, no. Yes, the one well that, that was, is that it's is quite a worry, famous isn't it? it was on the uh, the title credits for um, the life and loves of a she devil. Uh, oh yes, yeah. Oh, God, I remember that. 
it's in the Seven Sisters National Park, and 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 but they've had to put it on rails and move it and edge it back from the cliff face every time the the chalk cliffs fall into the sea. So. Yeah. Okay. I suppose that, well, that is, is one disadvantage of living in a lighthouse. You do yeah. you might have that risk that you might topple into the sea one night when you're asleep. <laughs> well, particularly on the Isle of Wight, because there are parts of the Isle of Wight that are crumbling into the sea. So, you know, I will have to go and check whether St Catherine's, I think that might be quite close to the uh, bits that are falling into the sea. So, All right, enjoy it while you can. A great place to write, <laughs> though. Top of your lighthouse. Yeah, absolutely. I've always, that's, that's <laughs> always been the appeal, you know, sitting there. Of lounging wonderful and, sunlight yeah oh absolutely yeah, but <laughs> probably blinking hot as well <laughs> so we I would we, like we, to live in something like that though that would be nice maybe a chapel or something that's been converted yeah yeah absolutely with a bell tower to put glass in the bell tower thing and then you can uh, look out across that uh, would beat the uh the shed in the garden wouldn't it as my writing den ever so slightly <laughs> i must admit when we were in Cornwall a year two two years ago I guess we were <laughs> mooching around a really expensive part of the, of the county in um, St Moors and I, <laughs> I had this sort of dream. we were looking at properties weren't we and go yeah it'd be great to live there wouldn't it and you know we could have a writing room and I was thinking how naive was that I mean you oh, know. <laughs> yeah it's fantasy <laughs> but yeah. we live in a barn that's fairly unusual isn't it fairly yeah <laughs> Sue, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for spending time. We're looking forward to uh, the publication of Swindle. Have you got the exact date to hand? It's the 7th of September. The 7th of it's September. In my head. It, yeah, no, it's fantastic. <laughs> it is the first in the Sandlin PI series. We're very glad to hear that part two might make it out before the house move. Might. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to move house till you finish. <laughs> okay, I'll get straight to it. <laughs> But uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. We wish you every success with that. We're looking as forward to hearing what the what uh, the, the the readers of the world think of it. It is a brilliant. Book. I think Vincent needs a Twitter account, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, and thank you for uh, for publishing it for me. Very grateful. Well, it, You're very welcome. It's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure, and we're really looking forward to, uh, to, to to potentially. No, we will be publishing book two so. and book ten. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sue, thank you so much and, and good luck with the, you know, with book two and uh, all the stuff that you need to do before you and move And finding house. your lighthouse. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Sue Shepherd, Dreaming of Lighthouses, off the back of the success of Swindled, coming out on September the 7th. Pre-order through the Hobet website if you want a paperback. And equally, it's available on pre-order now at Amazon. And, uh, well, look out for perhaps you know, some deals in the near future as well. We'll be looking to promote Swindled. It's a great book. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah as you probably picked up from that interview, uh, Sue is really, really good at creating memorable characters that you really root for or or boo. Um, <laughs> and, and in Vincent, you've got one, you can't help but feel conflicted because it's yeah, such a strong character. Like I always say, and, and I use in the advertising as well, you either love him or you hate him or you love to hate him or you hate to love him. <laughs> you, know? you can't ignore him. No. No, you can't. He's, uh, he's a great character. I, yeah. want, I want to meet him. He is real to me. Absolutely. And that's the first release of an incredibly busy autumn schedule for us. So uh, we'll, I think probably next week when we've spoken to, to Matthew um, as part of our programme, um, we will... Uh, take you through our publishing plans for the autumn, which are considerable. 
Um, and then in the mix somewhere along the line at some point before Christmas, we should have a number of our audiobooks. We've just had, actually, on the subject of audiobooks, we've just had all the files through on uh, the brilliant Leanne Walker production of Daria's Daughter by Linda Huber. Um, it sounds brilliant. And uh, it's a great book, really great book. Some, again, fabulous characters set in Glasgow. And Leanne has done a superb job with it. Really, really, really good. Um, just top quality. And in fact, I feel a bit jealous because... Uh, I, I, <laughs> Don't I, feel jealous. No, I have to raise my game now, I think. No, I mean, <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think she's uh, she's really nailed it. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really good. I've heard a sample. It's very good. So looking forward to publishing that. So that'll be, um, I should be uploading it this week. And uh, as usual with these things, it takes a bit longer with audiobooks. With, with publishing ebooks, you can pretty much put the file up in 72 hours ahead of time, and, yeah. and there you go. But with audio, because there are so many different retailers involved, uh, and Amazon take their own sweet time uh, through Audible to, to publish any, any books anyway, it takes forever. And so you can, you can put in a nominal launch date but it doesn't mean it's appear anywhere so that is one of the frustrations of audiobooks but it's a great thing to have and uh, indeed you know it's our aspiration and our intention and my my job to make sure that all of our books get to audio in the nearest future Mm. I mean, I, as a reader, I love audiobooks now. I always have one on the go in the car. Still reading Hamlet. Well, I say reading Hamlet. I'm listening to Hamlet. But I probably, there are times when I'm really busy and I actually get through more books on audio than I do reading. So yeah. it's, it's a good market to have. Speaking of your car, you ain't going to be listening to many audiobooks no. in the near future. You had, you had a bit of drama this week. In fact, I was quite upset when I when it dawned on me that um, I wouldn't be able to hear. Well, I can listen to the rest of Hamlet because I can listen to it in the house, but I don't tend to listen in the house. I tend to listen in the car. So um, I had a warning light on my car. It just said, uh, get your car serviced as soon as you can. So I booked a service. And then the following day, I had the same, get your car serviced as soon as you can. But then it also said, car overheating, engine overheating, pull over now, which terrified me. <laughs> yeah, you had to get, get the AA out. I, I turned around. I was heading towards um, the north to go and visit my sons. Because I panicked like I do. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, uh, we don't know what's wrong with it. And we'll find out next week. And, you know, it's not the youngest car in the world. And, uh, you know, it could be a, an expensive job. So fingers crossed it's not. But um, it looks like an internal engine leak, which we, yeah, the, the AA man couldn't spot. Robbie, the AA man. I have to say, Robbie was a wonderful AA man. He was lovely. He explained everything to me. He didn't laugh when I couldn't find the button that lifts the bonnet. He also didn't laugh when I couldn't work out the mileage. And he followed me home to make sure I got there safe. So if you're listening, Robbie, which I very much doubt it, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Robbie from the AA. I have to worry, really, <laughs> the way you speak about him. Now, uh, we were going to talk about uh, the, the big significant change in my life this week. In fact, it's all happened in the last 24 hours. Uh, have you found someone else? Is this your way of telling me? Um, not so much that, but <laughs> let's put it this way. An old flame has come back into my life. Yeah, so this is an old flame that I, um, I'm ashamed to say I'd never heard of. And you were quite shocked I'd never heard of it. I, I was absolutely staggered that you'd not heard. Of, okay, let's let's bring up to date with the story so that what do you call 
this person. So this person I'd never heard of, who I'm now quite a big fan of because you showed me some videos about this person. He's, he seems like a great guy. He's called Ronaldo Caprio, and he's a footballer. He's a footballer, yeah. That much you've got right. And, yeah, part of his name is Ronaldo. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know why. I keep thinking of Leonardo, you see, so it comes out as Ronaldo Caprio. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Well... I mean, you know, you'd have to hound under a rock not to know that he's coming back to Manchester United. And I made a complete fool of myself for years in BBC meetings when we were talking about, you know, Ronaldo, who is, well, in my opinion, the greatest footballer currently living, uh, apart from Pele. Um, and he's quite good looking, I must yeah, say. Yeah, and, and you know, we have these lengthy debates with people who support, they thought that Lionel Messi is a better player. But Ronaldo played for my team for six years, Manchester United. And I always dreamt he would come back. And I was absolutely gutted when he decided to leave Real Madrid and went to Juventus for three seasons. He's now 36. So I do remember him when he was a younger man and I went to see a few games. Uh, he left at the age of 24. He's won five Ballon d'Ors, as they're called, which is the award you give the best player in the world. Ballon d'Ors? Yeah, golden ball. Robert Dawes' younger brother. And um, he is... Uh, <laughs> I'm slow on the uptake on that one. Sorry about that. Ballon on doors, honestly. Um, <laughs> on the Spanish side of his family, obviously. That's what we ought to call him. <laughs> um, and uh, it got to the point where you know, this week they were saying that he was going to go to Manchester City, of all places. Which and would have been... you, you were pulling your hair out, as was your friend Angry Man. Angry Man, yeah. Stephen Housen on YouTube. Um, well, it was more than angry. I mean, he was... Apoplectic. He was talking about taking a contract out <laughs> against Ronaldo. But anyway, things have switched around over the last 24 hours. He's coming back to my club. Unfortunately, I'm just debating with my son. Uh, we have one season ticket between us this year. Uh, it looks like he'll be using that ticket oh. and getting to see you know, Ronaldo's debut. Um, I don't begrudge him that because that's the agreement. And, you know, we'll both get a chance to see him a bit this season. But... Uh, I can't begin to tell you just how exciting that is because he's just the most incredible talent. And the other thing about him is, yeah, he's a f fantastic philanthropist. I know he's got a huge ego and he sculpts his body to an industry of its life. But, you know, there are many, many things to admire about him. He had a very, very rough upbringing, very, very poor upbringing. Alcoholic father, they died young. Uh, many siblings, uh, they couldn't feed themselves. They were so poor. Um, didn't have shoes for the first three years of his life, that kind of thing. Um, and yet he has done incredible things. So he's coming back. Ronaldo Caprio. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's coming on the podcast. <laughs> well, that would be lovely. Now I'm kicking myself because I bought my, my, my uh, annual no. manulated shirt and I put... Uh, what do you Magnum put? Greenwood. Greenberg. Marcus, <laughs> sorry, Mason Greenwood is my shirt this year with number 11 on the back. And now I need a Ronaldo no, one. No, but I like Magnus. So I, I, Mason. I, yes, him. So I, I thought about getting a Malcolm Rutherford one just for your benefit. <laughs> and that's Marcus Rashford, if you're casing, or Bernard Fernando, <laughs> Bruno Fernandes. Oh, Fred. boy. But we should just get the, all the shirts with the alternative versions of their names and, and I'll get whatever number Cristiano gets. It'll end up being... Um, Caprio on the back or something. <laughs> anyway, what a joy. Uh, so that's that's my excitement this week. Um, yeah, it really is exciting. Yeah, he was very excited. Yeah, I was. Anyway, uh, I think we've dribbled on uh, a fair bit. We've got uh, 
We've got the kids back coming back this week. They're back to school the week after. I know. I can't believe it's gone. It's and now I can just sort of come and work in my little booth without worrying about whether they're in or out. It doesn't matter anymore. I'll probably forget whether you're in or out. Very likely. <laughs> um, so more audio work for me this week. A lot of uh, editing as well um, of the uh, the literary variety. Uh, not so long away is our trip to bloody Scotland up in Stirling. Yeah, it's uh, only two weeks. Yep. So we're looking forward to that and preparing ourselves for for that. And it'll be a f- fabulous occasion. Um, many of the same figures who were at Harrogate will be there for the glitterati of uh, Scottish literature, including Ian Rankin. Perhaps we'll bother him again. Uh, we, we are, are going to bother him again. Well, we are because, um, well, for one thing, we want to put um, some of our books in front of him. But the other thing is... Uh, there was an article in the Scotsman a couple of weeks ago. We haven't <laughs> had a chance to mention this, uh, which basically lifted uh, the substance of our interview with him at Harrogate and printed it as an exclusive. Him revealing that he wanted to write young Rebus books, um, so that he could uh, do his sort of prequels. Yeah, um, so we're in a national newspaper now. We were in the Scotsman. Yeah, full page article. So that was a, a bit of a vicarious thrill. <laughs> anyway, we look forward to Bloody Scotland, and next week uh, we will be speaking to. Matthew J. Holmes, who is uh, the author of several books on how to market uh, your books on Amazon, Facebook, etc., 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 and we'll delve deeper into his techniques for making things successful in those on those platforms. So that'll be exciting. But uh, from us, that's from Adrian Hobart and um, Rebecca Collins. We'd like to thank you for joining us here on the Hobcast. Please don't forget to visit our website, www.hobeck.net. Also consider uh, subscribing to this podcast from wherever, whichever platform you've found us. Uh, that would be immensely, uh, well, we'd be immensely grateful for that. We would. But uh, from us in our new TARDIS. And I'm going to go and mow the lawn now. Wonderful. Uh, and I'm going to go and find some excuse to watch some more sport, no doubt. Uh, it's uh, been a wonderful week, and we hope that you have a wonderful, creative week. Thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.